The Baseball Tonight podcast is presented by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional grade supplies and solutions made for every industry and backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Way out of here. Oh, this is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, July 14th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from back in Connecticut, Taylor Schwenk, Sarah Abbott, I'm Buster Olney, working from my home in Montana. Did you guys enjoy your two-day break? We did. It was very odd. I was texting with Sarah Langs, actually, on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night. There was basically nothing to watch on. I fell asleep watching Mexico-Jamaica in soccer and uh she laughed because she did exactly the same thing so these are desperate times buster i'm glad baseball's back sarah it was great um i played kickball so you know what i made i yeah i made myself pretty busy during the two week or the two days where is kickball happening i must know this because i grew up playing kickball like every day as a kid and then once i went in seventh grade that was it for kickball um it's through a league and I must say, you know, scoreboard doesn't show your heart. It doesn't show your dedication. With that being said, we are rebuilding. We're improving. Oh, I thought you were going to tell stories about domination. Like, how did you do? Like, what were your offensive numbers? Were they Otani-like? Um. No, that would be a disgrace to Otani. (laughs) I feel like they're more Tigers-esque, maybe. That would also be a disgrace to the Tigers. Listen, I'm not great. I'm not great. I'm Let's, improving. A little self-evaluation, Sarah, self-evaluation on your kickball game. Like, how would you rate? Because you know, like, the scouting scale, 20 at the low end, 80 at the high end. Like, if you were to give yourself, okay, uh, defense, power, speed, what are we talking about? Defense, I'll give myself a 22. Um, everything else, <laughs> I'll give myself a, actually, a 19. I'll make a new scale for how bad wow. I am. But my positivity, 80. You know, like that's that's all you can ask for. <laughs> yeah. Well, and do you have an opportunity at some place, some somewhere? Can you go to practice kickball? I won't be doing that, but I will be. <laughs> <laughs> I will be giving my all every game. And the trade deadline coming up, any team moves that are going to be made? Are you guys going to be buyers or sellers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they can't get rid of me because of my part and my dedication. <laughs> All right. Well, this Sunday, the first Sunday after the All-Star break, we have the Astros at the Angels with the Angels facing a gauntlet of games against teams they're chasing in the standings. They start out with the Astros, uh, and then uh, three games after that, they play the Yankees. Then a few series after that, they play the Toronto Blue Jays. Then their last game before the deadline, the Atlanta Braves. So we're going to know, I think, pretty soon about the Angels and what's going to happen with them, and are they going to trade Shohei Otani? Sometime in the next two weeks, we'll be talking about that with David Schoenfield. I'm going to ask Sarah Langs what she would do, uh, which was an extension of our conversation yesterday preparing for Sunday Night Baseball. The Astros have sent two of their most crucial members of their roster out on rehab assignments. Jordan Alvarez, who we saw in Seattle, he was swinging a bat. He looked comfortable walking around. Uh, he's going to go down to Sugarland to Triple uh, A, their Triple A affiliate along with Jose Arquiti as well. We are going to be at Camden Yards. You see that announcement, Taylor? Are you fired up about that? We're going to be Camden Yards on July 30th, Yankees O's Sunday Night Baseball. What percentage of the fans in the crowd will be Orioles fans, Taylor? Uh, That's tough. I mean, the crowds have definitely been better. They've been loud, but Yankees fans always take over, you know, Camden Yards. So I think it'll probably be a 60-40 split in favor of Orioles fans, but I wouldn't be shocked it was 50-50. I'm embarrassed to say all of this right now, but that's just the reality. Yeah, I can remember in the mid-90s when the Yankees uh, and the Orioles were vying for the uh, mm-hmm. you know the top of the American League East. Peter Angelos, the Orioles owner, used to just chafe when the Yankee fans bought tickets. And he'd be like, why would the Orioles, this is what he'd say to me privately, why would the, the Orioles fans sell their tickets to Yankees fans? <laughs> but... You know, this is a situation where the Yankees are chasing the O's, so it's a good game. Any chance you're going to make it down for that game, Taylor? 
I've given it some thought, Buster. I saw the announcement. And, you know, I thought about us, you know, strolling arm in arm down Pratt Street, you know, hitting up pickles, hitting up Pratt Street Ale House, you know, having a crab pretzel together. The thought crossed my mind. Maybe we can talk about it. Yeah, I just want to let you know that is not usually what happens during oh. Sunday Night Baseball. Oh, it's not. Okay? Well, we could do it before, you know. Well, it doesn't not be four either, oh. but either way, it would be fun to have you in the ballpark. Okay. It'd be fun okay. to see you there. That's for sure. And, and, uh, you know, the, and it should be a great series because the Yankees, they're, they're kind of on edge as we start the second half, they would not be in the playoffs as of today, the Orioles and the Maryland governor touted progress on vision for Camden yards. They're trying to come up with a new lease, uh, as they move forward. So we'll see if there's some more progress in that on Tuesday, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game was played, National League, American League, and the American League took a, a lead in the bottom of the second inning. The one Swing and a high fly ball drilled. Left field, that one back, way back on its way, and it's gone. Yandy Diaz will touch them all. And the American League has jumped out one nothing. That was Book Shambi on ESPN Radio. Uh, probably the moment that everyone's going to remember from this All-Star game is when Shohei Otani came to the plate. In each of his plate appearances, the crowd in Seattle was chanting something nice to him. And he'll face big Shohei Otani to start things off. 1-1 game, bottom four. Left-hand hitter at the plate, righty delivers. Swing and a tapper foul. Come to Seattle. This is great. Listen to this. The American League had a 2-1 lead, top of the eighth inning, and Elias Diaz, catcher for the Colorado's, came to the plate with a runner on base. Swing and a high fly ball, left field. That one back. That one way back there. God! Elias Diaz, a home run. And the National League has taken a 3-2 lead as he blasts that one out to left. In the bottom of the ninth inning, the American League threatened. They had runners on base. Craig Kimbrell on the mound for the National League. This is what happened. Here's a 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Kimbrell closes it out, and the National League wins it. Elias Diaz with the home run to give the NL the lead, and the National League coming into Seattle and winning the All-Star game for the first time since 2012. Now, during the course of the broadcast, Tim Kirkton was in the National League dugout. I was in the American League dugout. We were catching up with players. Here's Tim with Corbin Carroll. Okay, it's Tim Kirkton with Corbin Carroll. A Seattle kid comes back to Seattle to play in the All-Star game. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that, that truly is uh, dreams come true, right? Um, grew up coming to this ballpark. Uh, Safeco back then, you know, no, no T-Mobile, but... Uh, yeah, um, just just seeing the new energy. Um, you know, I came to that 18 inning playoff game last year and seeing this new wave of Seattle baseball. It's exciting. Who did you meet this week that you always wanted to meet? Um, Mookie. Yeah, I, I wanted to meet Mookie for a while. Um, yeah, I told him a few hours ago that I, I watched him in high school and he couldn't believe it. So uh, yeah, that was you know that's one of the best players in this game. Thank you, Corbin. I spoke with Yandy Diaz after his home run. Back here at T-Mobile Park, I'm talking with Yandy Diaz, who's responsible for the American League's first run with that home run. Tell me about that trip around the bases felt like. Ese sintió ese viaje tras la base después de bater ese primer home run. No, simplemente traté de hacer un buen swing, un un swing fuerte y salió ese batazo. Yeah, I was just trying to make a good connection, a good swing, and I was lucky to get that uh, result. All right, when you got back to the dugout, guys are giving you a hard time. I saw Julio Rodriguez, and you were talking about push-ups. What was that about? He was just making fun of how strong I am right now, and he was asking me whether or not I did exercises before coming here. Thanks, Johnny. I talked to Julio Rodriguez late in the game after those chants had been shouted at Otani by the Mariners fans. Back here at T-Mobile Park, uh, speaking with Julio Rodriguez. So tell me about that crowd reaction to you would go up for the plate appearance. Oh, uh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I mean, hey, let's go, baby. Uh-huh. Uh, it was unbelievable, you know, being, being able to kind of show out for them and just be out there representing them. I know 
I definitely felt that love, and I definitely wanna. It's, it was unbelievable. I got no words for. So speaking of the crowd, how about the way that they're trying to get Otani to come here, saying, "Come to Seattle." I mean, like I said, whenever they ask, they ask me about him. That's a player that can help any team out, and I'm telling you, it definitely could help us out if, if we were to if we were to come here. Julio, thanks. Now there were a couple of injuries during the course of the All Star events. One, Luis Robert the uh, outfielder for the Chicago White Sox who was in the home run derby. He had calf tightness. That uh, was something that was going to be evaluated over the all-star break, according to the Chicago White Sox. And Blue Jays closer Jordan Romano had to leave the all-star game because of back tightness. I sent some notes out this morning, haven't heard back, maybe some uh, executives still on vacation. Over the course of the break, the White Sox acquired right-handed pitcher Mike Myers from the Royals for cash and the Dodgers dealt for Tyson Miller, uh, relief pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers. That deal also for cash. Taylor, what else you got? New episode of the Low Post last night. He is in Las Vegas for the Summer League. Huge episode of the podcast. He's talking to Ian Begley of SNY about the Knicks. Larry Nance Jr. crashes that interview. Uh, the NBA's Evan Wash comes on to talk about the new play-in tournament, which sounds pretty cool. I'm eager to, uh, to listen and hear about that and watch it come the fall. So check that out, The Low Post, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and on YouTube. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing? Well, I'm good, Buster. You got me right in the middle of a big thunderstorm here in Connecticut, so maybe we'll pick up some of these blasts in the background. The blasts of thunder and the barks of your dogs, because as you dogs, not a big fan of thunderstorms, that's for sure. No, um, you know, no, my oldest dog Ruby. She is now losing her hearing, and I've actually been thankful for that for her <laughs> when it comes to thunderstorms out here. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure that you probably have some of that going on in your background too. Yeah, well, one of them is definitely afraid, and then she starts barking, and the other one I think is just barking at her rather than the actual storm. But yeah, we'll we'll get through it. Very nice. All right, this uh, is kind of a mid year review. Uh, and is presented today by our friends at Granger. So I'm going to give you some some questions based on what we've seen in the first half and where we stand going forward. And uh, and then we'll see if we agree, disagree. We'll kick it around a little bit. How's that sound? Okay, let's do it. Okay, give me a first place team, a team lead, currently leading its respective division, and we'll say the Dodgers are that team in the National League West because they're just percentage points ahead of the Diamondbacks. A first place team that is most vulnerable. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. Now, they're not facing a lot of tough competition in that division, but their rotation, I don't know how they're in first place. I think <laughs> their rotation is what? It's their 27th or 28th in the majors in ERA. I think it's 5.69. It's just an absolutely atrocious rotation, and they're in first. So I don't know how they're going to keep winning games, you know, with that kind of starting pitching. Look, we all know what L.A. Dela Cruz has done. The bullpen with Alexis Diaz has been pretty good, although the setup men, I'm not real confident in those guys. So I think the Reds are vulnerable. So what you just said is exactly what I heard from front office executives the last two days and making phone calls uh, almost with a laugh. Like, I, I can't believe the Reds are winning with that pitching staff is yeah. their perspective. But I would follow that up and say, uh, my, and I mentioned that Nick, my instinct is a Nick Crawl. Uh, the general manager of the Reds, his reflex, his default position is to be aggressive, which is why I think before the deadline, they're going to make moves to shore up their pitching staff. Would that make you feel a lot differently about that team? Yeah, it'll be fascinating because I kind of look at the Reds the way I looked at the Orioles last year, a team kind of that's come out of nowhere to be surprise contenders. The Orioles, as we know, played it very conservative, actually traded away their closer, didn't really Added bring nothing. Did nothing. 
The Reds are in that boat where they have a very good farm system. We've seen some of that young talent start reaching the majors. A lot of it's in double A and triple A. So do you start sacrificing that? I think the difference, the Orioles were in a tough division last year. The Reds are not in a tough division. So Cincinnati making moves is definitely beneficial. So yeah, if Nick Crawl's aggressive, I can see why they would do that. Well, and, and you know, there are two ways they could potentially add to, yeah, the prospects. I don't know if they necessarily were tearing to those, but I feel like for sure uh, what they could do is ask ownership, look, take on a little bit of salary, maybe get a couple salary dumps, add some veteran pitchers just to, to get some more stability in that rank. That's what the Orioles ownership didn't do last year, even though they were only two games out of the right. wild card at that moment. <laughs> no, and that's a great point. The Reds, other than Joey Votto, right, they're not paying anybody. So the pay, I don't know where they are at in payroll, but they're near the bottom. Yeah, that's, you know, and they're, that back of the rotation has been so bad. You don't even need to bring in a number one or a number two. A couple of number fours will, will be a big boost to that starting staff. Exactly. Uh, a team that's out of first place that is the most dangerous as we move forward. And I'm curious to see if you land where I landed on this one. That's a good question. I, let's go. Okay, I know they're not that far out of first place, but I look at the Houston Astros, and they're in a playoff spot, wild card spot, only two games behind the Rangers. But I look at everything that's gone wrong with them. Jose Altuve has been injured. Jordan Alvarez is still on the IL. Jose Abreu had a terrible first two months. Uh, Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia out for the year. The Rangers had this remarkable first half and Houston's only two games behind them. I think they're going to make some moves. Alvarez should be coming back soon. Um, They need a starting pitcher, I think, but I would be very scared of the Houston Astros. I think they're going to get hot in the in the second half. So just in talking with members of the Astros at the All-Star game, and there were a lot of them, man, is there some confidence there. Like yeah. There is confidence that they're going to wind up finding a way to win this division, which is the sort of confidence that they've earned over the last six years. Right? Yeah. And- Winning a couple World Series, having all that postseason experience. Yeah, and the Rangers, you know, they had that big lead and they kind of scuffled the last eight or nine games heading into that break. There's some concern about the Texas rotation right now. Their lineup is certainly great. The Rangers are going to keep scoring a lot of runs. But Houston, they should have put them away in that first half when they had the chance and they didn't do it. All right, the team that I thought you might say would be that, the Philadelphia Phillies, who, you know, have been thriving in the shadow of the Braves because the Braves Braves have been playing out of their minds. They gained games over the last uh, game, you know, picked up games in the standings, despite the fact that since June 3rd, the Philadelphia Phillies are 23-9. and And in that time, Dave, uh, they have a staff ERA of 2.96, which is more than half a run better than any other team. And when you look at that team, and I had this conversation with Rob Thompson, their, their manager, who was the National League manager at the All-Star Game a couple of days ago. Uh, when you look at that team, you've got Nola pitching out of his mind. You've got a good bullpen. You've got a deep lineup, one of the deeper lineups other than the Atlanta Braves. And you've done all this despite the fact that Trey Turner hasn't started hitting, and I think there's a reasonable expectation if you're the Phillies that at some point, Trey Turner's going to go off, uh, and Bryce Harper hasn't hit for power. I think there's a reasonable expectation that's going to happen because it's not as if Bryce is contributing nothing. He's still a good offensive player, and we know Dave Dombrowski. Uh, as we get close <laughs> to the trade deadline, you know, he, he's Trader Dave. He's going to make big deals if they need help. And I said to my son yesterday uh, in conversation with him, I said, look, I, I mean, the Braves are the best team in baseball right now. But if you ask me which team do I think based on as of today might have the best team suited for October, for me, it might be the Phillies. What do you think? Yeah, when I did my first half grades, the one thing I pointed out with the Phillies, not only Turner and Harper, but JT Realmuto, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, these are their five best players. All five have performed well below their career norms, or definitely what we saw last year. So it's certainly reasonable for the Phillies to expect all five of those guys to have much better second halves. Are they going to catch the Braves? I think they're too far back, but yeah, they're going oh, yeah. to get hot. 
And you're right. This is exactly the way they headed into the postseason last year. Except this year, I think the bullpen's a little better, a little deeper than last year. So that's an advantage they have, too. Yeah, and they'll add in the bullpen for sure. Every contending team will add a relief piece. Give me a contender most in need of a big move. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. And I don't know what that move is. Probably a starting pitcher um, now that Drew Rasmussen is also out for the year along with Jeffrey Springs. Their offense kind of predictably has tailed way off the last five weeks or so after tearing it up the first two months. They have the farm system to make any move that they need to make. Um, They don't usually make a big move. I'd love to see them do it because that's a really good team. But that starting pitching depth is a concern. They're running their bullpen into the ground because the starters really don't pitch a lot of innings. So I would love to see the Rays make a move. Yeah, and I, I when uh, you know, I've had conversations with folks around baseball the last couple of days about what might happen with Shohei Otani. I kind of mentioned them as like in the sleeper group in the whole Otani conversation because that to me is a classic raise move. And a little bit like you remember what was it, 2014 when Oakland traded for John Lester, you yep. know, which surprised everybody because that wasn't typically the sort of thing that Billy Bean did give up resources uh, in order to bolster their rotation. But Billy's feeling at that time was you know what, this might be our best shot at winning a World Series. I feel like the same thing possibly for Tampa Bay. Like yeah. I, I don't rule out the possibility that Eric Neanders is so respected within the industry, says, look, this is the time for uh, us to make a big move like Otani. What do you think? It is, you know, especially there's not – the, the AL is really strong, but there's not another truly dominant team. Houston's not as good as last year. The no. Rangers – you know, good offense, you know, the, you know, pitching as we discussed. So, so the other thing to keep in mind, you know, when you think about the potential partners for an Otani trade, the teams that usually make the big moves are ones that are already in first place. You think to the years of Houston getting a Verlander or a Zach Granke or the Dodgers in 2021, they were battling the Giants last year, but they were a good team, and they got Scherzer and, and Trey Turner, or the Dodgers getting Darvish in 2017. It's not usually the teams in third place that are looking to make that big upgrade because they got a lot of ground to make up, and it's a lot more risk. The teams in first place that already have a good team, they're trying to get that final piece to put them over the top. And, man, Otani would he'd look good in the Rays uniform. That would be fun. You know, yep. and then we got to remind everybody that, uh, you know, when Freddie Freeman signed with the Dodgers after the Braves, uh, they couldn't, he couldn't reach an agreement with the Braves and they traded for Matt Olson. It was the Rays that actually finished second behind the Dodgers in the bidding with, for Freddie Freeman. Uh, and in fact, their offer because of deferred money might actually have been worth more than what the Dodgers wound up signing Freeman for. So they are capable of making big and surprising moves uh, the Rangers, to me, would be another team on Otani. I don't know how Artie Moreno, if he could overcome the old school feeling of you don't trade within your division, which seems silly to me. You know, I get general manager with another team said uh, to me that, hey, I, I mean, it, it would actually make sense to make a trade like that because you literally weaken a division right. rival, uh, you know, for two months of a lost season, trading away Otani for two months of a lost season. Uh, but where I landed on the question of a contender most in need of a big move is actually a team that is at the moment kind of on the fringe, and that's the Yankees. Yep. Uh, and a lot, of people around, a lot of people around baseball were saying to me the other day, yep, now's the time. Because uh, you are right in the middle of their window of opportunity to win with the group of Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton. They're all middle-aged players. And, you know, Judge, assuming he comes back, uh, you know, with him and with Rodon back on the rotation, along with Garrett Cole, with a dominant bullpen. Dave, I think if this team gets into the playoffs, it's really dangerous. You know, and I think they're almost better suited for the postseason. And if you pay extra, you know, the if you pay sticker price plus the 10% that's going to cost to get Otani, and it would cost a ton, man, a, a Yankee team with Otani and Judge at the top of the lineup, that team could win the World Series. What do you think? No, no, I agree. Of all those teams right on the fringe of a wild card, you know, or a division title, uh, clearly more, there's more pressure on the Yankees. You're the New York Yankees. You can't miss the playoffs, you know, with that kind of roster that they've put together this year. And you're right. 
they are built for October. Garrett Cole, he's looked better than he has, you know, than, than the last couple of years. If they get yep. Rodon back pitching like he did the last two seasons, you have two co-aces, the bullpen, um, very deep, very reliable. So, yeah, they are built for October. They just – obviously, they need some offense. So, let's talk about some of the other teams that are, are you know, theoretically mentioned in the, in the idea of uh, – or, you know, possibility of trading in a, for Otani. Uh, a lot of the feedback I got back from folks with other clubs was the Dodgers aren't going to do that. And Andrew Freeman, their head of baseball ops, does yep. not pay sticker price. And as you know, generally speaking, the Dodgers are considered to be fa- early favorites in the, you know, to sign Otani in the offseason. The Dodgers aren't going to give up a boatload of prospects. And that's what it would cost because you'd be yep. competing against teams like the Rangers, like the Yankees, maybe the Rays. Uh, and so the perception is, no, they won't do it. The Diamondbacks – that's what I got back as well. They feel like, nah, they're not going to trade the major league ready players at a time when it feels like that as an organization, they're in a great spot. The Giants, what I got back from other teams was Farhan Zaidi, their head of baseball ops. That's not the big, bold move that necessarily you would see him do. Uh, you know, when they pursued Judge and Correa in the offseason, the perception was that was driven more by ownership than Farhan. Uh, you know, Toronto Blue Jays, their front office is viewed as generally being con- conservative. Uh, you know, the Red Sox, I don't think Hein Bloom is going to tear up, you know, what he's put together in the farm system in order to make a deal like that. So maybe not as many bidders as what people would expect. Yeah. And look, if the Angels get to that point where we're going to trade them, they're going to ask for your left arm, your right arm, your two kids, your dog, your house, your rental property, whatever you can throw into the mix. They're going to be asking for that. And so now we got to look at what are the teams that have the farm system to make that kind of deal. And the first two that jump out at me are the Rays and the Rangers, uh, the Yankees. I mean, you're starting with Jason Dominguez probably. Um, who's been okay, not great in the minors this year, but still a top prospect. My sleeper team until you just reported this was Arizona because they have two premium prospects in Drew Jones and Jordan Lawler, and they do have those young major league outfielders already in the big leagues. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's an American League team most likely to, to deal for Otani. And so that spins us into the the lap of Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, Okay. <laughs> Because that's what this decision, it's going to fall in his lap. And anyone who thinks that Perry Manassian is making this decision is out of their mind. Uh, he's going to be the one, Artie's going to be the one who decides whether or not to move Otani. And I've been saying when I've been t- you know, asked about this, I feel like this is a much more difficult decision than what people are saying. It's an easy if you are, you know, working in a, you know, as an analyst in some organization, then you might say, of course you trade him. Yeah, you, you know, you flip a guy with that kind of value in a lost season and you get baseball value back in return. I think it's much more complicated than that if you're already and you're the owner of the team and you're trying to sell your franchise to your fan base. What do you think? Yeah, it, you know, and I've heard other people say this. Do you want to be the guy who trades Shohei Otani, the once-in-a-lifetime player, Yes. Are the Angels the favorite to re-sign him next offseason? No, they're not. Do the Angels know that? I don't know. I don't know what you've heard on that front. You know, certainly the speculation in the sport is, like you've said, the Dodgers and the Giants are probably the, the, the rumor mill favorites to land him. So from a pure baseball standpoint – given where the angels are in the standings, given they're going to be without Mike Trout for how much longer um, (laughs) their odds are not good. I think what did I read? 10% odds right now of making the play. That's just making the playoffs. You know, that is as the sixth wild card. Then you got to win a best of three, then a best of five, you know, are they built to really even make a run? Not really. It's not a good enough team. Anything can happen October, but yeah, do you want to be Artie Moreno and the guy who trades Shohei Otani? Would you do it if you were Artie? I would do it. I'm an analytical kind of guy. I would listen to all the offers and say yes because deep down, I think I don't think he's going back there next year. Uh, Sarah Taylor, chime in before uh, we say goodbye to Dave. Sarah, if you're Artie Moreno, you trading him? 
That's a good question. I see both sides to this. I don't feel like I'm at liberty to speak for Artie Moreno. Yes, I, I, you are. I've anointed you. The media. Artie we Moreno can all went on vacation. Yeah, you, you, okay. have, you have taken over his business. Oh what, my God. Would you do it? Yes, I would do it. Taylor? Yeah, of course I would do it. You, yes. he, he, uh, he's worried about like his legacy. He'll he'll be so sad when he's on his yacht in Belize, like worried about oh. people being mad <laughs> at him in, on Twitter. Get over it, Artie. Just trade the man already. Oh, well, great. Well, Dave, we're going to see very soon because right well, out of the gate. These next two weeks are going to be fun. <laughs> Yankees series for the, for the Angels. Toronto Blue Jays coming up. Braves coming up. So they should declare themselves pretty quickly. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, you know I love to put you in impossible situations to give you an impossible choices. So today, I'm making you Artie Moreno. Okay? How does that sound? I mean, stressful already. Well, the good thing is you – yeah. That, the good thing is you have a lot of money now. Congratulations yeah. on that, right? There we go. But the next two weeks after the series of games against teams like the Astros, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Angels probably will declare themselves as being contenders or not being contenders. So if you're Artie Moreno, Sarah, and you are today, we've established that, uh, are you trading Shohei Otani in the midst of of the greatest season ever from the most unique player ever uh, if the Angels drop out of contention? What say you? I mean, this is an impossible spot. I mean, obviously, if you were to trade him, you put yourself in a great spot to rebuild the team, look to the future. We know that whatever combination of players would net Shohei Otani, I I can't even begin to process how many top prospects or major league ready young players you would possibly get. That would set the Angels and Mike Trout up moving forward for sure. But as you said, this is the greatest athlete in sports right now having the greatest season we've ever seen in the midst of a three-year run, unlike one we've ever seen. And we have never seen a player win MVP in this season that he was traded. And there's two ways to look at that. One is that no one has gotten to a team and made enough of an impact with that new team to win MVP. But the other way to look at it is that nobody in the midst of a hands-down unanimous MVP season has ever been traded, and that's what would be happening here. I'm very envious, uh, not envious, I should say, of that situation. I'm very glad to be here, not being Artie Moreno right now, not being anyone in that Angels organization having to make this decision, but this such a tough one. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I think it, you and I would agree with this point. If it were purely about baseball analytics, about value, there's no question you would trade him. Would you agree with me? If it were only about that? For sure. I mean, I can't, as I said, I mean, I cannot even imagine what that trade package would look like that would set the angels up moving forward for so long. No question, because again, we're talking about a player doing things we have never seen before. But there's so much more to it. And to be the team that traded him, to be the individuals that traded him, and to put the fan base in that spot, again, impossible situation. I do not envy any of it. And I know it's really, really difficult. And I do feel badly for Angels fans having to watch this play out, having to worry and wonder and think, you know, is this last shirt we see from Otani and Angels uniform? It's just a sad spot to be in. So I do feel badly for them. Yeah, I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but you're right. Tonight, theoretically, could be his last start uh, for the Angels as a pitcher. Wow. Um, he may, at some point, uh, you know, or might, when we go into September, challenge the the home run record, American League home run record that was just set by Aaron Judge. Um, and I, as I said, I think this is a 
much, much more difficult uh, decision than a lot of people are giving it, uh, are, are, are attaching to it. Because, you know, and I think of Harry Frazee, the only reason why history remembers Harry Frazee, the longtime owner of the Red Sox, or, or the, you know, the long ago owner of the Red Sox, was because he was the guy who delivered Babe Ruth out of town. And it's, I haven't looked at his Wikipedia page, but I guarantee you it's somewhere in the first two lines of that. And if you're Artie Moreno, owner of the Angels, it's a lot easier politically. It's a lot easier sell for your fan base if you just play out this year, let him do what he's going to do, you know, set the American League home run record or win the MVP. And then if he becomes a free agent and walks away, then it's his decision. If you trade him uh, before the August 1st deadline, then it's Artie Moreno's decision. And casual baseball fans, I don't think will understand, Sarah. And you always wonder if a guy gets traded, how that affects his potential for re-signing with that team. You know, yep. when Max Scherzer was traded, we heard about how his relationship with Mike Rizzo was so good that it wasn't a long shot. Then he might resign in Washington. Ultimately, he wanted to win. He knew they were rebuilding. It didn't fit his timeline. But we knew there were no hard feelings there. But you always wonder whether, guys, after he gets traded at the deadline, does that take the Angels out of the running in, uh, in November and moving forward? Or are they still on the list? All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is one. So we're going to start with Shohei Otani since we're just talking about him. So he is currently number one in the majors in both home runs and triples. 32 homers, six triples. The only other player to lead the majors in both triples and home runs at the All-Star break is Jim Rice in 1978. Bryce is also the only player to lead the majors outright in the full season in both of those categories. Really cool. He could be the second guy to do this. He also leads qualified pitchers and opponent batting average. So again, just to tell you how incredible this is, he is on pace to do something only one other batter has done. And then he is also leading pitchers in a category that is very important, keeping guys off the base pass and not allowing hits. Number two. Number two is Sue. So I did want to do one thing from the All-Star game. I know we're a couple of days fasting now, but Luis Rise in the All-Star game on Tuesday went two for two on two pitches. So we only have pitch count stuff back to 1988. But in that span, he's the only player to get multiple hits in an all-star game on the only pitches that he saw. So the only guy to get a hit on every pitch he saw and see more than one pitch. And I looked that up and it's like, of course he is. Who else would have done that? But Luis arrives in 2023. Number one. Number one is 169. So as we look ahead to the second half, look to teams that are doing incredible things. You and I have talked a lot about the Braves lately. They hit 169 home runs in the first half. That is the most by any team in the first half. First All-Star game was 1933. No team has ever had that many home runs before the break and just for context within the season that is 20 more home runs than any other team in baseball so far this year the dodgers have 149 so you know my son jake is a huge braves fan and i told him i said you know there's no doubt right right now the braves are the best team in baseball when we do the power rankings it's easy their lineup is unbelievable But I said to him in conversation yesterday, if I had to pick one team today, based on what we've seen, to win the World Series as of today, if I got a mulligan and re-chose it today, I would pick the Phillies. Because I feel like that their pitching is coming together so well since June 3rd, 2.96 ERA, easily the best in baseball by more than half a run. And at the moment, 
without Max Friedback, without knowing what's Kyle Wright and whatever else and Alex Antopoulos do, I think the Phillies are really dangerous as an October team. What do you think? I do think they've gained so much steam lately, as you said. I just wonder, I mean, we've talked so much about how offense and hitting home runs is really the key in October, especially lately. We always bring that that bring back that note about out homering your opponent. But of course if you're doing that and your pitching isn't great, then you're not in a good spot. I wanna see Bryce Harper be Bryce Harper again. And again, that is a huge ask. He came back so quickly from Tommy John surgery. None of that is against him. But if he starts looking like capital B Bryce Harper, then the Phillies are going to be really, really dangerous. But I agree with you. I think people are underrating them right now, for sure, based on how they've looked lately. All right, Sarah. Great to talk with you. Uh, Thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you on Monday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. After the All-Star Game, Buster caught up with Elias Diaz, who got it done for the NL over the AL in the 2023 All-Star Game. The ones who get it done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional-grade supplies and solutions made for every industry and backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Have a listen to Buster's interview. I'm here with Elias Diaz, the MVP of the All-Star Game. So you said to teammates in the dugout early in the game that you thought you were going to win the MVP. What made you think that? Uh, bueno, pues obviamente con felicidades que tú andabas hablando con tus compañeros y les dijiste que ibas a ganar MVP. ¿Qué piensas sobre eso? Sí, desde de, de temprano estaba hablando con, con Arcia y él me dijo, oye, tú vas a ganar el MVP. Me dijo, tú vas a jugar. Y le dije, no, no voy a quechar, pero voy a agarrar un turno. Me dijo, ok, está bien. Tú la vas a sacar y vas a ganar el MVP. Yeah, I was talking with my teammates early on in the game, uh, especially Arcia, uh, and he told me actually that I was going to win MVP. Uh, you know, he asked if I was going to get in to catch. I said, no, I'm not going to catch, but I'm going to hit. He said, all right, you're going to hit a home run and you're going to win the MVP. All right, you face Bautista, obviously throws really hard. He was having a hard time commanding the ball. What was your thought process before that swing? Bueno, pues uh, el turno contra Batista, que estaba poquito, teniendo poquito problema controlando los picheos, pero ¿qué estaba pensando en ese turno? Sabe, eh, al, al principio yo estaba buscando la recta porque él tira duro y él y, y él temprano estaba con la recta. Pero estaba hablando con el hitting coach y me enseñó que que bueno que ya tarde en, en, en el conteo su picheo es el split y me lo, lo dejó por ahí y lo le pude reaccionar. Yeah, honestly, early on I was looking for the fastball. Uh, you know, it's kind of hunting fastball, but then after talking to the hitting coach, you know, he kind of turned me on to be on the lookout for the splitter. So later in the count, uh, I kind of looked for the splitter and I was able to get one and take advantage. What was in your heart? as you saw the ball go over the fence and you're rounding the bases. It is art. It is art. ¿Qué estaba en tu corazón cuando estabas cuando estaba viendo la pelota que se iba y corriendo la base? Mucha muchas emociones, muchas emociones, muchos momentos que que he pasado en mi carrera, lo que lo que he luchado para poder estar aquí, pues de verdad que fue algo que es inexplicable. A ton of emotions, you know. I've I've been through a lot of my career, so to be able to get here, uh, you know, and have that moment, uh, just a ton of emotions and uh, very blessed. A first-time All-Star at age 33. Your mom is here. What's that like having her here in the ballpark as you win the MVP? Bueno, pues tu primer juego de estrellas y aquí está tu mamá. Que otra vez cómo estuvo teniendo tu mamá aquí presente en el, el estadio. Eh, es increíble, de verdad. Para mí, todo lo que desde de, de niño ella me llevaba a, al estadio, eh, todo el sacrificio que pasamos juntos y que ella pueda estar conmigo un día como hoy, algo especial para para mí es, es muy grande. It's incredible, you know, all the sacrifices that she made for me. Uh, you know, she was the one that would take me to the, the, the yard, the field when I was little. Uh, so all the sacrifices that she made and just to be able to have this incredible experience with her here, it's amazing. Elias, congratulations. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? Buster, I am well. How are you, sir? I'm doing great and and uh, glad that 
Once again, we renewed your lifetime contract. This is, I think, the fifth renewal of your lifetime contract. Uh, we you know, got to have uh, got to see each other and have lunch in Seattle because you always go to the All-Star game. And, uh, that, you know, it's a big deal every time we can renew your lifetime contract. Well, I know that some of the granular details of the deal that you and I discussed over lunch, um, they're still pending. We have, you know, it's in the hands the of lawyers. Haven't looked at it yet. The agents, the lawyers, all of them. But uh, I think we can get there. And um, where are we going to hold the celebratory press conference, Buster? It's good, probably at the World Series. Although I would say this, since you're in Philadelphia, Taylor and I had a, a conversation about this upcoming Yankees Orioles game on July 30th, which is going to be on our Sunday night broadcast. That might be a night. You know, and there's a there's a restaurant in, in Baltimore. I love to go to Sabatino's. That would be fun on uh, on Saturday night if the uh, th- three of us get together. Because Taylor, of course, has to approve the deal. Whoa, wow. Buster, wow. laying the groundwork for some real plans here. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to hop, skip and a jump on Amtrak from Philly to Baltimore, as you guys know. So, you know, I'll, I'll bring the celebratory gold pen. We can uh, we can make this happen. Close exactly. the deal. Sarah, what we about you? Is there the any deal. chance you would also come for the final uh, round of negotiations? I mean, of course, I will never miss a party. This is an invitation. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to have to harden out these plans, okay? Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have some conversation. That wouldn't be fun because that's, that's right in your neighborhood, Todd, as you know. And the way the Phillies are playing, we'll probably have another opportunity after that. All right. Uh, so I had so many people tweeting at me this week asking me what I felt about two uniform issues from the last uh, five days. One, the all-star game uniforms and, and asking me, and I got asked on radio interviews, you know, how do you feel about this? That uh, you have actual uniforms being created for each team rather than just having players wear their home uniforms. And I always feel uh, unqualified compared to you, my good friend. So tell me what you think about this. Cause I personally wish they had just kept it so players could wear their home uniforms. Well, Buster, everybody hates it. I hate it. Uh, it seems very contrived. There's not a good reason for it. We can get into the aesthetics and everybody has their own feelings about aesthetics. I hear about every day on social media, but one of the most um, compelling discussions that I saw. Somebody brought up a point on Twitter that when you see Garrett Cole run out there in a weird one-off uniform, um, the average fan who's tuning into this game, and hopefully they are tuning into this game, probably has no idea who he is. But if he's running out there in the Yankee pinstripes, not only does it feel special, but um, it actually uh, lifts the game. It's It's a marketing tool for the game. So what is the risk reward for something like this? Well, if you are Nike and you're selling jerseys, obviously you're creating revenue, but uh, those big picture things, which sometimes people don't think about uh, in the world of marketing and selling, um, maybe that's something to talk about, but yeah, uh, a very strange look. And I I mean, it's not such a strange look. We've been doing this for a few years now, but Buster, you would probably agree with me. There is something very, very special about seeing the American League and the National League line up along the base paths. Yep. And you see those uniforms. And whenever it's been in the National League ballpark, the San Francisco Giants are wearing those cream uniforms. They look a little different than the beautiful, pure Dodgers white uniforms. Give me the home uniforms. Everybody wants it, but it's not going to happen. And we saw the other day, maybe an example of this, the casual fan probably doesn't know which team Elias Diaz plays on. And, uh, you know, as he was rounding the bases, if he had, uh, you know, Colorado across his jersey, then you would have better identification of of a guy who actually decided the game the other day, right? Yeah, I think so. And the construct of the American League and the National League, uh, which used to be such an important thing. These guys would go out there, their league presidents, Warren Giles in the locker room before the game in the 1960s. Telling the National League players, you've got to go and win this one for the National League. Well, the idea of a National League and an American League really does not exist anymore, with the exception of the World Series. And who knows how long that'll go on for. So uh, it's kind of a strange thing. Maybe it's time to rethink that aspect of it. But inject the home uniforms and the road uniforms into my bloodstream. 
Give me tradition. I don't always say that, Buster, but there's something a little weird about seeing what we saw the other night. Taylor, Sarah, you guys want to weigh in here? Would you rather see the uh, All-Star Game uniforms or would you rather see the team uniforms at the All-Star Game? I I would lean the team unis, although I didn't hate the ones this year. They were very, I thought the pattern was very Lululemon-esque. That was the vibe I got. Kind of that muted (laughs) camo with some like, you know, not quite, the colors don't quite pop, but they could, they could. Tara? I think I'm going to go team unis. I think that's pretty fun. Yep. A hundred percent, especially as Todd uh, laid out when they do the player introductions uh, before the game. Uh, And the other uniform question that popped up this week, Todd, and I know you see this coming from a thousand miles away, the Yankees. Uh, With what happened with their uniforms this week, having an advertisement on it. I look, I'm, I think I I really turned a corner during the uh, lockout, the owner's lockout, when you had owners, you know, like uh, John Fisher uh, or Steve, uh, yeah, John Fisher of the the Oakland Athletics, um, reducing player salaries in the minor leagues are tempting to from $400 to $300 a week. At that point, I was like, well, you know what? It's a a business and they're going to do everything they can to make as much money as possible. And so I kind of have this shrug of my shoulders around this. I'm like, you know what? You might as well turn them into a NASCAR, you know, a NASCAR vehicle. Just put whatever you're going to put on it because that's what it is. It's a business. Well, Buster, I mean, the NBA broke the seal on this several years ago. And what they did with placing a uniform advertisement in a consistent place at a consistent size, people, you know, people were up in arms about it and they kind of forgot about it after a little while. MLB is a little bit different. The traditions are there. The baseball uniform, as I always say, is something that dates back to the 19th century. Why do we have buttons? Why do we have vestigial belts? Makes no sense. So anytime that these traditions are interrupted, um, it's kind of jarring. And certainly in the case of the Yankees, a team that has famously never put names on the backs of their uniforms because it's all about the team, a team that didn't wear the majestic logo on their sleeves, unlike 29 other clubs. Now they wear Nike. But uh, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. But I'll tell you what, I always say this. We are bombarded by advertising 24-7, 365 as human beings. So we'll get used to this. I don't know. I mean, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. But uh, the choice certainly was an interesting one. You figure it's the Yankees. They're going to go all in with some Apple or some giant company. And certainly this is a big company. But uh, the choice of partners <laughs> always kind of makes me laugh. Kroger on the Cincinnati Reds. Well, that kind of makes sense to me, right? Myra right. in, in, in <laughs> Detroit, uh, here in Philly, when the when the Phillies finally get a sleeve patch, everybody here wants it to be Wawa. Uh, so anyway, um, yet another uh, a blow to tradition and a Yankee traditionalist. This is a team, by the way, Hal Steinbrenner, we've talked about this before, said that the Yankees are not going to participate in the City Connect uniform program. So they kind of stand up against, you know, the lack of tradition in that respect. But here they are with an advertisement on their sleeves. Eh, I shrugged my shoulders, Buster. Yeah, you can't be a little pregnant. Hal Steinbrenner might as well get over himself in that regard and just, you know what, just (laughs) dive in. You you know, you put advertising in your uniform. And on top of that, you might want to end at uh, the whole hair policy. Well, I mean, it might be time to get into the 21st century with the hair policy for the Yankees. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. All right, Buster, today we are going to take a look at Sportsman's Park, Grand Boulevard, and Dodier Street on the north side of St. Louis represents hallowed ground when it comes to ballparks. Baseball was first played here as early as 1867, and it served as home to the St. Louis Brown Stockings in the National Association and the National League from 1875 to 1877. A couple of ballparks came and went on this site, but we are going to focus on the final version, which was constructed in 1909 by the American League's St. Louis Browns, who today, of course, are Taylor's Baltimore Orioles. It was the home field for superstars Stan Musial, Rogers Hornsby, and George Sisler, and it was where three foot seven Eddie Goodell came in to pinch hit for Bill Beck's Browns in 1951. Sportsman's Parks did not have the charm of contemporary ballparks such as Wrigley Field, Ebbets Field, and Fenway Park. It lacked the grandeur of Scheib Park and Forbes Field, 
but it wound up hosting more MLB games than any other facility, including 10 World Series and three All-Star games. The 1909 facility was a big modern ballpark, highlighted by a two-tiered fireproof concrete and steel grandstand, just the third of its kind in the majors. It initially seated 18,000, but this was eventually bulked up to some 30,000 seats nearly a half century later. Concrete bleachers were added as part of a massive expansion in 1925. This was a hitter's park buster. Compared to many others of its time, it was decidedly favorable to left-handed power hitters with a power alley only 348 feet away in right field. The St. Louis Cardinals joined the Browns here in 1920. They had previously played at Robeson Field, located about a half mile north of their new home. Neither franchise is what we would call a powerhouse at this moment in time. Browns owner Phil Ball brashly predicted that Sportsman's Park would host a World Series by 1926, and he put his money where his mouth was, allocating half a million dollars toward renovations. Groundskeeper Bill Stocksick supervised his crew as they shifted the diamond. He told the St. Louis Star and Times, and I quote, this is the third park I've watched them build since coming into the employ of the local ball clubs in 1905. He installed home plate in 1909, reinstalled it in 1926, and amazingly helped remove it 57 years later when the last ever game was played there. Ball, however, was correct. The 1926 World Series was played at Sportsman's Park, but his tenants, the Cardinals, were the home team. They defeated the New York Yankees in seven games to win the World Series that year. Sportsman's Park was desegregated in May 1944, but three years prior, it hosted an exhibition game between two popular Negro Leagues clubs, the Chicago American Giants and the Kansas City Monarchs, led by the great Satchel Paige. This was the first time that two Negro League teams had ever played there. 1944 was also the year that the Browns won their only American League pennant. They faced off in the World Series against the Cardinals, and they lost in six games. This was also the last World Series to be entirely contested at one site until the 2020 pandemic World Series was played in neutral Arlington, Texas. The Browns bumped along after World War II, and the Cardinals became a dynasty. 1953 turned out to be a decisive year for baseball in St. Louis. Local brewer Anheuser-Busch purchased the Cardinals in late February, then bought Sportsman Park from beleaguered Browns owner Bill Veck for $800,000 some six weeks later. St. Louis could no longer support two clubs. The Browns wound up moving to Baltimore after the season. Cardinals owner Gussie Bush tried to rename the ballpark in honor of his brewery's flagship brand. It was to have been called Budweiser Stadium, but he was rebuffed by baseball officials, so he renamed it Bush Stadium only 24 (laughs) hours later. Talk about marketing buster. The next year, Anheuser-Busch introduced a new lager called Bush Bavarian Beer, thus turning the tables and thumbing their noses at the commissioner's office. As the neighborhood around the ballpark deteriorated, the Cardinals and the city began to look at options for a new downtown stadium. Finally, on May 8, 1966, 17,503 fans bid farewell to the only ballpark most of them had ever known. Pre-game ceremonies honored Sisler, the Browns' best player, and Musial, a Cardinals legend. The San Francisco Giants beat the Cardinals 10-5, and a century of baseball at Grand and Dodier came to a close. The final chapter for Sportsman Park, which is this week's Forgotten Field. Yeah, just seventeen thousand at the at the final game. That's that's a bummer. Definitely, definitely different than that. I remember the last game in Yankee Stadium in in uh, two thousand eight when uh, the place was absolutely packed and people wanted to celebrate the park. Different than uh, that last game of Memorial Stadium in Baltimore for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, here we go. When Albert Pujols retired last year, he finished his career with 703 home runs in how many different ballparks? Is it A, 38, B, 40, C, 56, or D, 51? How many different ballparks did Albert Pujols hit a home run in? 38, 40, 56, or 51? Wow. Uh, Taylor, you want to go? I'll go B40. Um, 
that's my instinct as well. I'm going to go B40 because I, I mean, the one thing is, is that so many of the ballparks turned over in the, in the mid and late nineties. So Albert didn't get to play in all those various, uh, you know, various ballparks, Sarah, what you got? My instinct was also B, but I think I'm going to go a 38 just to mix it up. Taylor and Buster are correct. It was 40. Sarah, you are close, but not enough. And interestingly, Sammy Sosa hit home runs in 45 different ballparks, but 40 different ballparks had to be a certain moment in time to get that done for sure. All right. Well, that means Sarah's buying dinner when we all meet in Baltimore. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. That's awesome. We we do have to pick up the threads of that conversation uh, about getting dinner together in Baltimore. What say all you guys? Bring it on. I'm going to check my calendar. Just make sure I'm around. I'll bring the beers, Buster. I'll bring the vibes. (laughs) Very nice. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes, and Buster, who's the greatest ball player to come out of the Pacific Northwest? Is it easily between Dale Murphy and Ryan Sandberg or Ronnie Santo? Maybe someone more recent like John Lester or Jacoby Ellsbury? Scott Hatterberg? Does Adley or Corbin Carroll pass these guys someday? What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a chance, you know, with Adley, Corbin Carroll. They're great players. They're starting their careers relatively young. Um, yeah, I think my question about Adley for you, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, is whether or not he finished his career in Baltimore or maybe in the Northwest at some point. I, you know, I, I think I'm partial to John Lester a little bit just because I love the story of his mom. I think she works on a road crew and, you know, how tough his mom is. Uh, that's a good one. I mean, it's hard to beat Dale Murphy, Ryan Sandberg because they're Hall of Famers. What would, which way would you go, Taylor? Uh, this is out of my depth here, but I will answer your question. Will Adley finish his career in Baltimore? God, I hope so. It's a great day to extend Adley Rutschman, John Angelos. I know you're a busy guy trying to get that stadium lease signed, but please, for the love of God, extend the man. Every single day, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Mm. That the, Every single day they don't sign him or some of these young guys, it becomes more difficult to keep them long term. Yep. Ernesto Cedillo writes in, as we head into the second half, which teams are primed for regression? My pick are the Marlins with their record and run differential being so far apart. And please, the Yankees with an impossibly low batting average and Judge and Rodon returning eventually. Yeah, I understand the the sentiment on the Marlins because, I mean, statistically, that makes some sense. Uh, But I got to say, when I'm talking with executives around baseball, they're impressed with the Marlins. They think they're actually pretty good. And with their pitching, Sandy Alcantara, the, them winning without him being at the, the top of his game, there's some feeling that they actually have some room for growth. Maybe the Cincinnati Reds, because they, you know, it's, it's very interesting to hear the perspective of folks with other team on the Reds where they're like, you know, they clearly are playing well. They have a really good offense, and people are just astonished that they're in this position, despite the fact that their pitching is so bad. You know, they have one of the worst pitching staffs in baseball right now. I saw a stat that I think they, they have 22 different pitchers with wins credited, which is, I think, the most in the majors. So, uh, right. Spread, and that makes sense. Spreading it thin there. Uh, piggybacking on that a little bit, PK Steinberg writes, and coming out of the All Star break, what is the current DEFCON level for the New York Yankees? And I think we need to say DEFCON levels go five to one, with one being the most. Def Connie, Jeremy Termini on uh, on Twitter wrote 99. So that means like, hey, everything is is more than fine. So what do you think? Wow, <laughs> PK, I'd, I'd say I'd put it at somewhere between two and three. Okay. Right? They just fired their hitting coach, which is unusual, but it's not like they're five games out. Like they're in a much better position than the Padres or the Mets. They just got Rodon back, right? He He's... Mm-hmm. Uh, He's going to be back. You know, at some point, they're probably going to get back judged, and I think they'll make moves before the deadline. I'm not – if I'm in the Yankees organization, I'm not panicking yet. Let's talk some more first-half panic here. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim 1 writes in, Hey, Buster, do you think the horrible first half has the Cardinals rethinking firing Schlitt? Marmol's winning percentage in the regular season and playoffs is worse, and he's had some instances where he didn't handle things in the best way. Schilt. Yeah. Mike Ooh, Schilt sorry. is the, the name though. That's okay. I know you were thinking about the beer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I look, I know they're not rethinking uh, Mike Schilt's firing. I think they probably are rethinking how they've handled this group of young prospects. They have not made hard decisions. And while they've developed some really good offensive players in, in their system, 
they definitely are defensively challenged and they have to sort through which guys are going to keep and which guys are not. I remember last August, the Yankees were taking all kinds of flack for that Bader for, for Jordan Montgomery trade. Right now, that trade looks so bad for the Cardinals. Mm. Hey, Ron, at Aaron plays MLB rights and scoring in the All-Star game is very low, which I think contributes to a lack of fan interest. Do you have any ideas on how to spur offense in the game while acknowledging there's only a finite amount of pitchers and pitches available? Cody the Blind chimes in. All-Star game should be high scoring like basketball. We aren't watching for pitching. Look, I think the solution absolutely is to uh, keep the best players in the game for as long as possible. Uh, like Shohei Otani, give him four plate appearances. That's mm-hmm. fans want to see that. Now, I will tell you the other day, I asked Dusty Baker before the All Star game about the culture of the game and how it's developed. Because when Dusty started in the big leagues, like teams were going for blood, the American League National League were going for blood in the All Star game, they were out there to win it. And now it's more of a you know participation trophy type thing where everyone gets to play. And Dusty, who is such a, you know, he's got all that experience, said he likes it the way it is currently. And he made a really good case that if you're the, you know, the family of a a player who was picked for the all-star team and you made the journey from, say, Dominican Republic or, you know, South Dakota or something like that, and you go to the game and your guy doesn't play, that's kind of a bummer. And after I heard that, I, I was like, you know, that's that's not necessarily a bad perspective. I, I did like the game better when they kept the stars in the game. Eric Callis at Eric Callis one uh, wrote this in from uh, threads. He uh, obviously not a Twitter guy. So I, I picked it up over there. He writes, what will the next few years of Detroit baseball look like rebuild or contending? If a rebuild is in order, are Javi and Erod tradable? If contending, who might they target in the off season? Hard team to read and really inconsistent, fun and frustrating at the same time. Yeah, I would agree with that, you know, and they're still early in their time under Scott Harris, their new general manager. You know, this is uh, this is just his first full season. So I'd say you're going to need some patience. And here's the other thing, too, when you're talking about the Tigers, they're in a very forgivable division. We've seen it this year with the Cincinnati Reds. And so maybe with a couple of uh, adept moves, somebody getting hot, them moving on past Miguel Cabrera, maybe they're going to be better next year. Last one and most important one for today, Pat Johnston at the Melting Pat rates. And since you wouldn't ask about Adley scent, Giancarlo's glutes, how about Alec Bohm's hair care routine, Brandon Marsh's beard moisturizer, Bryce Harper's being Bryce Harper. Let's get some investigative journalism in here, Buster. Come on, man. Yeah, Pat, I, I can tell from the tone of your bleacher tweet that you agree with me. I mean, I just can't go up to players and ask them <laughs> questions like that, right? Uh, you know, I might be able to joke about it a little bit, but I can't ask that question. All right. All right. But you're the professional, I guess. I mean, you're you're not at all curious about what Alec Bohm's hair care routine no. is? Oh. No, I'm not. I'd never given it a thought until all I right. read this Bleacher tweet. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Hashtag Bleacher tweets. If you have any questions you want Buster to ask, where you're, you're going to be in uh, in L.A. Wow. this weekend for, for Angels, yeah. Angels Astros. Right. Okay. Any Can questions? Go up to Otani and get the one question you're allowed to ask him. Or something, and you want me to use it on like his hair routine? Well, you should ask him, why are you so dang cute, Shohei? Just a little cutie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Super Bowl week question. You know better than that. That's true. Like that is a question um, you you would hear on media day at the Super Bowl. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks to our sponsor, Granger, for making today's episode possible. I'll say one last time before we go. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional grade supplies and solutions made for every industry and backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Uh, you know, I, I love doing the Granger reads, Taylor. They, they are fun. I, I, you know, love the company, uh, you know, love the work that they do. And it's cool to I actually have had people come up to me and mention them to me when I've been traveling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're 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 everywhere. I see their commercials on TV. Yeah. We are we are proud to have them aboard the Baseball Tonight podcast. Any other advertisers, get at us. Right, exactly. And Granger made uh, made today's episode possible. All right, my thanks to Dave, Sarah, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.